Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night. I know we have everyday innovators from across the globe. Welcome. You are going to love today's interview. I haven't even done it yet, but I know how amazing this woman is and how amazing this conversation is going to be. So let me just preface it with a little bit of high expectation. Before she introduces herself, I want to tell you a couple of things. First, I want to make sure that you the listener, go to our website and take your assessment and discover your everyday innovator style. As you know, we have innovators of all different types on this show. And what's really interesting, and I know that a lot of you are hearing, is how they've leveraged their strengths, their way of innovation to go further faster in some way or another. And whether they are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, seasoned and senior, or emerging and starting out, that common theme of innovation is across all of them, but how they innovate is unique to them. And speaking of unique, today's guest is absolutely one of a kind. Let me start by sharing her everyday innovator style with you. So Donna is an instinctual risk taker, which when I got her assessment, I was like, of course she is. So the instinctual is all about a more circuitous way of thinking. So while most of us are A to B to C to D, and that's fine, instinctuals tend to be more A to X to L, back over to A, then over to Y. What's fantastic about those of you that have instinctual in your style is that while most of us get stuck in information level, you're really good at seeing how things connect and pulling out the insights and the patterns. And in those insights and patterns are opportunity. The other part of her style is a risk taker. So this is one that we share in common. I'm a risk taker experiential. So the risk taker is all about leaping into the uncomfortable and innovating best in that pressure zone, in that uncomfortable zone. So what's interesting is I often find with risk takers is we put false goals, pressure, like we create it so that we have that uncomfortable space because we actually innovate best there. So the magic in that combination of instinctual and risk taker is Donna brings connective bold innovation to the table. We're going to hear all about it today. So Donna, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are hey, and what you do. My name is Donna St. Louis. I'm CEO of firebrand.net. And the short version is I make really, really smart people really, really rich. The long version is that I work with subject matter experts to turn their expertise into better paying clients in bigger stages. Hey, can I ask you a quick question? Because I love everything you do. Will you give a highlights of how you got into this space and what made you realize that this was a, a not, not just a place you could play from an expertise perspective, but how there's a gap in the marketplace that you could fill? You know, it, it's kind of funny because I actually would have told you that I never wanted to be a coach. Like I would never be a coach. I'd never run a coaching firm. I think coaching is just stupid. I hated the way people were running it. Um, and it was funny because I spoke to my coach and my coach said, so why don't you change it? And I was like, I could do that for real. Um, is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And the other thing that kind of annoyed me is that people always had this idea of, you know, here's your business in a box. And the problem was, is that it never really was in a box. It was just a bunch of box videos that people had to watch. Um, so it wasn't really like, how do I get your expertise and turn it into an actual business? And so when I got into this space, it was really because I was rebelling against everything that everyone was doing that I hated. Honestly, I, no, I love that, Donna. And I, I think that oftentimes the thing that frustrates us the most is actually the place that we should play. We just overlook it sometimes. So I love that you said that of like, oh, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to change it. So we'll just make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I really hate, I really did. Honestly, I hated, I hated coaching. I, I hated the way coaching was done. And it's crazy because I love to teach and coach and educate and, and really change the game for people and help them change the game. But I hated the way I can talk to you between one and one fifteen for an hour on Friday. and That's it. And I'm like, but what if my world is crashing down Wednesday night at 11 PM? <laughs> what about then? Do I have to wait till Friday? And the answer a lot of times was yes, or you could pay a premium not to. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know? So I did not like that world at all. And, and so I decided I wanted to change it and I did. Well, kudos. And I know that people that are in your program, I don't know if you want to call it a program, really appreciate how, how you do it. I know they're getting incredible success. So on the note of success, what's a recent win or something that you are proud of? Um, the recent win is I had a woman who was doing relatively well in her business. She had a six-figure business and six-figure a year business. And I said, I think that we can get you to six-figure quarters and six-figure months. And um, and and changing you from doing things that you don't love in your business to doing things that you do love in your business. And we helped her restructure, really helped her identify what she loved doing the best so she could do more of that. And she's crushing it. She's hitting six-figure quarters and a few six-figure months like nobody's business. And I love that. And her clients are so, they love everything she does. So that's big for me. So that's huge for her too. And so sometimes I feel like, and I know I suffer from this in my own business and you and I have known each other for a long time. So I know you've probably seen me do this. A, A lot of us get really stuck in the weeds. So we don't see... the changes, yeah, that we need to make to elevate our game. And whether that's like going from a six figure to a seven figure, or that's like, you know, getting, moving up the leadership promotion ladder, whatever it is, how do you, what do you think is the magic to figuring out or seeing what other people don't see? Because I think that's one of your gifts, Donna, is I think you see things and maybe that's the instinctual side, right? That kind of the patterns, but I feel like you, you see those like, well, tomorrow, if you just did this, that I just, you know, that, the, that we tend to overlook. Well, so I think, so if there was a formula behind it, I think what happens a lot of times is that we see the barrier and we see the barrier so clear, right? Like the barrier is sitting right there in front of us. And what I do is I literally think, okay, how can I use that barrier? So for example, I was talking to a young lady yesterday evening who said that she has this amazing athletic wear clothing line. And she said, I can't do anything. That's the barrier, part of the barrier. That's the mindset because the clothes are, you know, coming from China and they're taking too long. And so the first thing we have to think is what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that is I can't do anything, which is I can't do something. And so now I ask myself, what can I do? Because the clothes are taking too long coming in, coming from China. And I'm like, 
you should be doing a pre-release sale. I'm like, first thing you should do. And I know that's not like this novel idea. And I'm like, but you need to do a pre-release sale. You need to make sure that you're selling the exclusivity of the clothes. And then you need to be really identifying who your people are that should be buying these clothes and only sell to them. In other words, make it super exclusive. Only these five people can buy these clothes and only on pre-release. So maybe it's only your current clients who are really going to get out there and market and promote yourself that can buy them. And I'm like, and that's how you do a pre-release. I said, your stuff should be sold out before it hits shore. Here's what I love about what you said that I think is a great exercise for all of us to go through. Because I think you're so right, Donald. We The barrier becomes the only thing we focus on and it becomes the biggest obstacle. And we have to figure out like how to remove the whole thing, which is really challenging, right? But what I heard, what I heard you say is not that flip the script on how you think about the barrier. So not what's the problem that the barrier causes, what's the problem with the barrier, but what's the benefit of the barrier? Well, the benefit of that barrier, right, is exclusivity. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have, because if you have fewer products, you have higher exclusivity. If you're not going to get it for a while, then think about when you are going to get it. So now you're talking about summer ready. Okay, you want you want to have your summer ready wardrobe. And I'm like, there's a whole opportunity around modifying how we look at it. And so for me, it was, well, how can I leverage this to be something else? Because if we're constantly stuck, and by the way, the other part was remove, and this is going to sound totally counterintuitive, get rid of your initial goal. And I know everybody's like, no, you have to chase your goal. No. So her goal was a very, as people would tell you, it was a very smart goal, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely, right? Blah, 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 whatever. Great. Okay. Get rid of that. Get rid of that goal because that goal is actually stopping you from doing something else. So her goal was, well, my goal is to make sure that my product is in the market. Like it was a very specific goal. And I'm like, okay, so don't do that goal. And, and it was just like, and everyone looked at me because we're sitting around a table. I'm like, don't do that goal. Don't do that goal now. I said, we can evolve into that goal, right? So I was like, get rid of that goal. Let's put a different goal in front. And, and then once she realized that I don't have to do that goal, I can do something else. All of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh. And so we were talking about, I said, I need you to evolve to that goal. So what happens is when I'm telling people to throw out their goal, what I really mean is don't stop sitting here saying, I can't do anything until I reach that goal. What's the evolution to that goal? That's the way you want to think about it. Can I evolve to that goal? And the answer for her was I can evolve to that goal. So you just blew my mind on that, Donna, because it really made me realize something for a lot of us is, you know, so the times, this is the obvious statement, the world has changed and we have to adapt to that change. Obviously, right? And that's true for all of us in some way or another. Right. You have but it, yeah, our, but not going to. That's the problem. <laughs> no. Well, uh, if you haven't yet, you're probably really behind at this point. Like you are, you're beyond the head in the sand. Let's just say you're you're suffering the consequences. Yeah, you know, I just I'm going to say real quick about Donna. I just it's been very interesting because I know we know some of the same people, but the there have been people that I've noticed who were waiting it out through the last two years. Um, and now they're, now they're not only they're struggling, now they're done because they just didn't bother to adapt. They're done. We've seen people in our, in our industry 
who were doing the same thing for years when you and I were definitely saying doing that one thing is nice and that's great for earned income, but you need to have a recurring revenue model and you've got to get your head out of the sand and do something differently. And they did not, they were not listening and they thought we were crazy doing all this extra stuff. And we yeah. things and we would say we would say things that they thought were ridiculous, like, what if you fall down and <laughs> your le- and your legs are broken and your head doesn't work in your right. mouth? You can't do your job. You can't do your job. Then what? And they would be like, Don't be ridiculous. You know, what if there's a pandemic? Ha ha ha. <laughs> How funny. Stop watching sci-fi movies tomorrow. <laughs> You're crazy. Oh my God, Donna. I, we could have a whole conversation about the things people have said to us over the last five years, right? Because I would agree you and I were ahead of the curve of like of evolving our business models. But I think that's because you and I always had a mind on scalability too, right? So we knew, and we knew not like it's and not well, not being satisfied with status quo. Right. Well. right. Well, we wanted to evolve and adapt with the times. So, but that goes back to your comment about goal, I, you just really kind of gave me an aha moment about how many of us say we want to change and adapt and, and we need to, right? Because the world has changed. So we got on that tangent, but our goal actually is like a really unnecessary anchor that keeps us or makes that change really hard. So what a great insight for all of us who are struggling with change to go, well, maybe it's my goal that's the problem. There is this thing, there is this bullheadedness about goals that if you, if you have the testicular fortitude, ovarian audacity, and oh my godness, to actually change your goal, then you are a loser because you not have, oh my God, and you have no stick-to-itiveness and you're constantly just all over the place. And I'm like, no, I'm evolving to it. That's all. Well, I might things have changed. Yeah, and things have changed. And so not doing that. And as I get more information, my goal must evolve. And we have, so if I get, and by the way, some of the information that we get is called a barrier. It's called a roadblock. <laughs> That's the information we get. And so therefore we must evolve the goal because we got new information. See, the thing is we see roadblocks and barriers or things aren't on the happy path in the exact way that we want to do them. We see those things as roadblocks and barriers rather than what they really are. New pieces of information that mean that we have to evolve our goal. It's a new piece of information that impacts the goal. If you decided that you were going to be an elevator operator and then somebody came out with this new piece of information that says, guess what? You can get in. You can press the button. Like they don't even need the little dude to like pull the thing and do the what a what a what a. And they took the people off the police downstairs. They're actually just pushing buttons down. You now have a new piece of information. Are you still going to say, no, when I grow up, I'm going to be an elevator operator. Are you going, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll figure out this new tech because I have a new piece of information. It is not a barrier to your goal. It's new information that evolves your goal. I, I love that, that thinking. I feel like you've just impacted a lot of lives, just giving us not just permission to change our goal. Cause it's not about just not feeling like a quitter. Cause that's the, I think, cultural mindset that we have. But also recognizing that, you know, we set these goals before we take the action. So, of course, the goal is going to change because we have no real data when we set these goals. So that's just like, I just love that whole kind of, and I'm, 
I like to change my goals as I go to your point, because the, what I learned along the way changes, but there are times where I found myself like, Oh my God, tomorrow, are you just giving up? Cause you didn't get to that goal, but you know, you just like, that's how it's we evolution. feel. That's why I don't, that's why I don't even call it a change. I really do call it an evolution, right? You, I evolve and have more information. What I'm trying to get to has to evolve as well. If it stays the same while I'm continually changing, I'm never going to actually reach it. And the goal is the barrier. The goal becomes the barrier. (laughs) I love that. And you know, it's funny. Maybe you have some insight into this on it. I've never liked smart goals. There's something about that that really bothers me. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I've always rejected that notion. And, And it's funny because I actually, so when I talk about goals, I talk about smarter milestones, not goals. Right. And so all the smart stays the same, but then I go, and can I evolve it and repeat it? Because if I can't evolve it and repeat it, then it's, it's actually, it's actually a rock. It's actually becomes a barrier. Hmm. I think you just nailed it. I think that's why I don't like smart goals is they feel set in stone and then there's no room. There's no room to change them. Right. And what's the point? So here's the thing. Let's say, let's say you learn how to swim. Let's say you learn, literally, you have a goal of swimming 40, 40 laps and you learn how to swim. And so you get to the goal of swimming these 40 laps. Done. Are you going to evolve it? Are you going to repeat it? Are you going to get better at it? Are you, it's now, it's not, no, it's no longer about swimming 40 laps. It's like, can I swim 40 laps faster? Can I be more efficient at it? Can I get the same out of 10 laps that I got out of four lap, 40 laps? There has, if there is no evolution of thought towards the goal, the goal becomes an immovable structure that is now the opposite of what we want, a freaking roadblock. Well, and here's, I'm going to add to that. It's funny that you said the swimming goal, and maybe it's because we were talking about triathlons and stuff earlier, but um, I've never had a swim lesson in my life. And so I had a goal of being able to swim for 30 minutes, like nonstop. That was my first goal getting in the water. And I, it actually, so that was my big smart goal, right? 30 minutes of like nonstop swimming. I didn't care about time, didn't care about anything. But I realized as it turned out, I actually am an okay swimmer. And I hit that goal within like two days. So my data changed the minute I got in the water and I realized, oh, that's not even a good goal for me because it turns out that's too attainable. I need something quickly to change, like to make it 30 minutes for X number of laps or whatever it was I decided. But listen to what you just said. This is what you just said that is so important. When do we change goals? We choose to change goals when they become too simple and too attainable. And yet, when they become outdated and overly difficult and barriers, and then we go and try to change them, now we're a loser. I'm like, what? How does that work? Because <laughs> the opposite of that, right, is I get in the pool and I realize I can't even get a lap in. And maybe that needs to be my first goal. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, good point. You need the evolution of a goal. That's why I do smarter, smarter milestones rather than goals. I want you to think about that with your goals. So tell me about a story or a time where you thought differently or broke through status quo to achieve a, a bigger, better outcome. You know, so I'm going to use keynote speaking. I'm going to use that specifically. So when I first got into the speaking world, I um, had long, blonde, straight hair. And by the way, I am not bad for anyone who looks like this. I'm just telling you, it was not me. 
So I had long blonde straight hair. I wore pearls. Tomorrow I was probably passing just a little bit, right? <laughs> I wore hair, pearls. I had on the um, Hillary Clinton Teletubby suit. I used to wear the, I wore loafers. I wore loafers, right? So I listen, it's not political. You know what I'm talking about. You visually got fine, right? Me and baby. Blue I can't even put those two things together, but it's all, it's all just a weird collage of no. Right. And I was getting, and I hate it. And I did the perfect speeches. I stood on stage. I stood up straight. I walked to the left. I walked to the right. They presented, I had present presentation hands, right? I had the presentation. I had the whole thing. And then um, I'm going to use appropriate language rather than say effort tour. I went on an acid tour. <laughs> And my acid tour was, this was the last time I was ever speaking again because I hated it. I hated this, this amalgamation of a human being that I became on stage. It was gross, disgusting. It wasn't me. And so I did what I normally do. I put on my, um, my basically business dominatrix attire, <laughs> right? I had on my fitted dress, my metal earrings. I cut my hair short. I went to curls. I put color in it. Like this was who I really was. Right. And I took the stage and I didn't have this perfectly thing. Right. And I got on stage and I started having conversations instead of speeches. And then I started doing this thing, what, what we call a crowdsourced keynote, a keynote on demand. And I remember asking the event planner, I said, what if, we didn't sit here and pretend that we had a crystal ball and that we tried to predict what people were going to be thinking or feeling or needing six months from now. And what if, because I am an actual expert, what if I actually got on stage and we did 20 minutes of a keynote, we did 40 minutes of the crowd bringing in the questions, what they wanted to know at that moment. And then we did a close. I said, would you trust me to do that? And this one particular event planner told me, she goes, listen, you can get on the stage and quite honestly read from the phone book. I would be in the front row taking notes. Okay. <laughs> right. Like Aaron and then after Aaron, what? Because <laughs> that would be me. Is that AA? Is that, is that AA or AR? I'm just, you know, and so I was like, cool. Did it. Did it on this acid tour where I showed up as who I was. Did it. This was my last year I was going to get booked. I got booked crazy for the next year at double my rate because all of a sudden I took everything that everyone was doing that I thought I had to do said, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. And I hate this. And I never want to do those things again. Decided not to do them. And that was status quo. You that was status quo. Right. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that. It changed the game for me completely. And I still do major speeches for major companies on major stages in sales and, and entrepreneurship, but it's not a keynote like anyone does. It's not a stand and talk keynote. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff Zoe is part of my family, 
but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So let me ask you a question about this because um, you and I went through similar journeys in that way. Because when I first got into the speaking world, it was like, here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to be. Here's how you have to present. Never look at your slides. Go to the left, go to the right, own the center of the stage, blah, blah, blah. Right. (laughs) Right. All all of it. And uh, so all of it. So, oh, and I had a matching three piece suit as well. So I mean, <laughs> let's not forget the matching shoes. I mean, it was so ugly on me, on me, like good for other people, not for me. And and the big jewelry, the chunky jewelry that they say that you have to wear so that you can be seen on stage. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm loud. I don't know that I need I'm the five, chunky listen, jewelry. I'm five nine, I wear six inches. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure. I'm good. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. When I made the decision to walk away from that and try a me approach, there was some fear and some hesitation that went into it. And I had to kind of take a big gulp and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be me. And I'm, I'm going to do it in a way that I think works for me. And that the, and that, and that they, especially with keynotes that the audience was going to get the most out of the time with me too. Right. It was about right. them as well. But I was like, the, I, I'll, I'll never forget being on the side of stage and then doing the introduction and me walking out and like really being nervous to like, Oh my God, should I, should I have worn my pearls? Was this a mistake? You know, what am I going to clutch? And I, <laughs> Oh my gosh, right? What am I going to hold on to? Um, I think a lot of people, when they decide they want to do it their way, whatever that way is, the thing that holds them back from doing it is the fear of how it's going to be received, right? So how did you get through? Yeah, until you get to the other side and you realize it's all fine, but how did you get through that moment to, to push you forward so that you could get to the other side? I did it scared. I did it scared. When I can tell you, right, there is actually a series of pictures that this photographer took with me. So I'm standing on the side of the stage, right? And he's there just to take pictures of me and not kidding you. He's, they start introducing me and you see the blood flush. Like I'm just white, like just white. And, and all of a sudden I feel like the water going in my mouth. Like I'm going to throw up right now. I kind of bend over. And the only thing I'm thinking is don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. 
And then they go, Donna St. Louis. And I'm like, fuck, right? <laughs> right. But seriously, in that moment, and he actually counted on camera, he goes, You go from this timid person to all of a sudden, you are like this courageous gladiator. Your face changes, your stride changes. You walk on that stage and you go, Sup. Like the first thing out of my mouth. <laughs> Sup, how y'all doing? About to do this thing. I got like 20 minutes of content. We're up here for an hour. You got 40 to do. So I hope you did your homework. Let's make it happen. That's like the first thing that came out of my mouth, right? And and it was glorious. It was amazing. But it's people always talk about fearlessness. Like you have to be fearless. No, you have to be courageous. You have to do what scares the hell out of you. Do that instead. I double dog dare you to take that thing that scares you and go do that. So I'm glad you said or reject the notion of fearless because it drives me a little bit crazy, actually, because the human brain is hardwired for fear. Like we can't we can't get it out of our brain. I think when people get up there and like fearless innovation, fearless life, fearless, I'm like that's a lot of shit because you can't actually be fearless. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think it makes a lot of people shut down because it sets an expectation you can't achieve. I can't be fearless. So yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Okay. So share with us, I'm going to flip it for a minute. Share with us a challenge you faced and how you overcame it. Um, that's a good one. Cause most of the time, so it's kind of like this. Oh, I have one. So this is not a business challenge. Is it okay if it's not a business challenge? Okay. Okay, cool. So this isn't a business challenge. I really have this problem of when I would go to an event or walk in a room or be at something that unless I'd gotten off stage, people generally don't talk to me. Right. Right. So I'm like, I don't know what I could do to be more approachable. I'm smiling. I put away the fangs. I took down the horns. I keep the pick for, I mean, like I'm doing all the things I'm smiling. I'm looking approachable, you know, <laughs> but still, you know, I, I did, I'm not wearing the pearls, but still. And, um, and so I was talking to my mindset coach about this because I told her, I said, it's really bothering me. I can't figure out why people don't like me. That was basically what I said. And so she said, well, we, we had this whole conversation about, you know, sometimes people will see a successful person and she goes, and even though you're not walking around going, and this is my bank account, kind of <laughs> successful person. So sometimes you could just see a person and tell they're confident, they're comfortable in their skin, they're successful. You could just see that. And she goes, and what happens is that there is almost like this mirror reflection. You think they're looking at you, but actually what's happening is what's being reflected back to them is all the ways that they're not succeeding. She goes, so it's not you. It's really a reflection of their failures that they see in your success. And that was huge for me. And she goes, and what you're expecting people to do is what you won't do. You're expecting them to approach you when you won't approach them. And I was like, huh. So you know what I did to get over it? I went on a solo cruise, not a singles cruise. I went on a five-day cruise, which meant there were going to be a lot of people there who were couples. And I did it over Christmas break. And I purposely put myself in a situation where I knew I had, if I was, if I was, and listen, it wasn't like I could get off the boat, right? So, <laughs> 
not like I can go, I'm going home. I don't like this game, right? No, I'm in it. So I purposely put myself in a situation where I would have to overcome that barrier, where I would have to literally reach out and talk to people and say, hi, and just walk up to them and nice watch. I'm not wearing a watch, but I imagine that you have nice watches at home. Like, right? like just put myself in these, in this situation where I had to be the person that approached everyone or have the worst cruise ever. So what did you learn in, in that, doing that? I, I learned that people aren't as scary as I think they are. That if I literally give the opportunity to say, and I know that people talk about say yes, but not just say yes, but to say welcome, to, to literally welcome people in, that it was cool. And by the way, for the people who are like, no, I don't want to be bothered. I have one guy who's kind of a jerk that he was sitting down at like two o'clock in the morning working on his laptop. And I'm like, we're totally on a cruise night before Christmas, dude. And you're working. He's like, I'm not here like you. Some of us actually have to work. And I'm like, clearly, and you hate your job because they're making you work the night before Christmas. They hate you. You should quit. And if you decide to do that, let me give you my number. Right? So, <laughs> right? so not everyone was wonderful, which is okay. But there were more. But that's people. not about you. That's, that's not the great about thing me. in that lesson. Yeah. Right. Right. And and there were more people that I met. There were more people that I that were wonderful. And by the way, I met the um, senior vice president of sales and marketing for the cruise line, who then hired me to come in to a keynote speech. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that story, Donna? So I have the same challenge, and I often feel invisible in my day to day life. And if I'm not on stage, on camera, on video, right? Like, you know, I think people think that that my life is like that all the time where people are always coming up to me, but often I feel really invisible and yes. all the time. And all the time. yeah, all the time. And I don't know that people realize that. Like, I think, and you just kind of shed a little bit of light on it, but I think when you walk around, I mean, not just successful, but comfortable in your own skin. You're like, I'm just, I'm here. I'm me. Like, I think it actually freaks people out a little bit. Yes. And so we, we yeah. So I just want to give us all a little bit of a reminder to like, to, to go and talk to the people, because even the ones that you think are like, oh, they have it all together and they're so successful. They don't need to talk to me. They're amazing. If they want to talk to me, they'd come over and talk to me. Right. Those are the people that often feel the most invisible on a day-to-day basis. Yep. And that was a huge barrier for me because I'm you know, starting to do more networking, getting out there and, and people are like, you need to go network. You need to know where I'm like, no one talks to me when I network. Yeah, me neither. Right. And then, and then, and then literally when my mindset coach was like, because you are reflecting, they, and, and she goes, they see you and they see what they don't have. And so it's, it's very scary to walk up to somebody who has everything that you don't. And I was like, okay. And so I just started literally, I would compliment people on things that they didn't have on. That's a great hat. I'm not wearing it, but I bet you have a great hat collection. Right. If you <laughs> did, it would look amazing. But if you did, it would be hot, right? Like I did it the whole cruise. Oh. I literally compliment people on things that they weren't wearing. I love it. <laughs> well, what a great insight for all of us though, about like, Hey, talk to people. I know someone, if someone's like that dude, it's on them. Like that's their issue. But um, I think you just shed a little bit of light of not just, Hey, I should make an effort. Right. Also, but be, 
just because someone is what you think they are doesn't mean that they're not as insecure, nervous, or, you know, I mean, networking is, is tough. Yeah. Yeah. Feel like well, every insecurity. Was, yeah. And I will tell you for me, it kind of was because we're, it's that fear of rejection and I tend to chase things that I'm afraid of. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to talk to them and it's not an ego thing. And if they don't talk to me, well, it's their loss. It's not that. It was like, you know, I'm just going to start talking to people. And I, I really start creating those opportunities. And now I do it all the time. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, you know, hey, for everyone listening, I would encourage, I've done this before. I had not gone on the cruise and like trapped myself in a situation. Like I'll do it standing in line to board a plane. I'll do it at a restaurant. Like I'll pick places and be like, all right, tomorrow you have to talk to two people today. Like you have to engage in conversation, not just someone who's like serving you, who has to engage with you but like somebody else who's sitting at the table next to you. And it really, it's funny how nervous I get, like trying to strike up a conversation. And I'm good. And I'm pretty good at striking conversation. I can get people talking, but man, like that first moment, I'm like, Hey, Donna. I decided to chase it. Oh yeah, I know. I decided to chase it. And I will tell you a couple of the the results was, um, so I do have this fear of karaoke, right? Don't ask. I do have this fear of karaoke and there are no recordings of this happening. However, I ended up hanging out with a lot of people who got me on karaoke, um, which I would have never done. I ended up on stage doing things I didn't think I would do. Um, I suddenly had this group of people that were around me and were almost like, you know, they became my BFFs over this cruise. Like, hey, and they would hit my room, call my room like, hey, are you going? Are you ready? What are we doing tonight? I'm like, I wasn't doing anything. You can't not do anything. You're on a cruise, you know. And so it really became one of those things where it could have been the worst experience or the best. So I, you know, my mindset coach would 100% tell you, if I think there's a barrier, I'm chasing it. And so I tell people all the time, chase the barrier, chase it, run after it. I love it. So what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? (laughs) So I'll give you an example. So right now, we, uh, we're getting ready to put on this challenge, right? And so we're doing the Firebrand Clarity Alignment and Cashflow Challenge, right? And so I was speaking to my chief marketing officer and I'm like, this is the last challenge we are doing. And he goes, why? It works great. I'm like, no, no, we can do challenges. The word can no longer be challenge. Anytime I hear something, someone or I recognize that something is happening too much in the market, I immediately go, we need to stop doing that. We need to be ahead of the market every single solitary time. So like we're no longer doing masterclass. We're now doing something, uh, executive sessions. Um, So we change anytime the marketplace, I don't even want to say it gets inundated. It gets close to like five people are saying it. (laughs) Like, Like, okay, enough of that. So that's everyday innovations of us. We're constantly updating and changing our language um, to not be in the pack and not be in the masses. So here's what I think is really important about that for all of us to really pay attention to as well is you may have been the leader to begin with. You may have been the, the driver, the innovator, but the greatest compliment right, is when the competition copies you, of course. The challenge with that is it creates a lot of noise in the marketplace. So you have to keep innovating. You can't, I hear a lot of times from people, well, we were the first ones to say it was a challenge or a masterclass. Doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter because now a thousand people, other people are doing it and they've watered the whole thing down. So you got to keep moving and you got to stay hungry enough to want to continue to change and to create that gap between you and the competition. 
Absolutely. Here's a perfect example of this that we are seeing right now in business. Um, Netflix, when Netflix first came out, so I'm going to yeah. give a solid business example. They were 100% owning that market, owning. And right now, they're concerned lose 2 million customers in the next year or something like that, right? So what happened? Because here's the thing. There's the point of being an innovator. Then there's the point of being exclusive, like you have exclusivity, right? You're doing something other people aren't doing at all. Like you're innovating and now you're exclusive. It can only be these people. Then beyond that, now you have this whole thing of customers. And then, and this is why they are where they are. Then you become a commodity because other people have copied your innovation and it's no longer innovative. And so if you don't keep innovating, you start to become a commodity. And when you become a commodity, the only way to really thrive is to be the low price leader. And that's going to cause you to lose dollars, market share. And then beyond that, if you get beyond that, you can become a utility. But unfortunately, in this space, they can't become a utility. And so therefore, what has happened is they are now a commodity because they no longer have the innovative edge that they had before. And if you do not have the innovative edge, you will become a commodity. And when you become a commodity, you have no choice but to lower your prices and you will lose market share. You will lose dollars all the time. Just like it works in business, it works with language. The moment that you use a phrase and that phrase is becoming overused, it is now a commodity, eventually utility. And what you want to do is as soon as you see it becoming a commodity, it is time to change your usage of it. So I love that example of Netflix, super relevant because they're all over the news right now about how they're now looking at like upping their prices, adding ads, like they're almost going backwards to try to hold their spot and it's not going to work. And I also think I'm going to add a late. What they're trying to do is what has worked back in the day. They're going back in regards to their innovation rather than going forward in what can we do that's new and innovative and they're not innovating. They think totally. Yeah. They think different programming is going to make them innovative and it's not. No. Well, so they did that though. They did that before. They can't do that again. So, and here's the other thing I'm going to, I'm going to add to that too. I think for all of us personally, the, the mistake that we make is in trying to be innovative. We go, Oh, look, everybody else is using this, you know, white cup with a red rim. So we should have a white cup with a red rim and it's too late. You're in the game too late. You got to figure out how to leap ahead of all those people who are now saying the same thing. Exactly. Absolutely. So what advice as an instinctual risk taker, what advice do you have for other everyday innovators of all kinds who are looking to innovate and influence and make an impact the way you have? I would say the, so this is what I tell all of my clients to do. And it, it is truly a game changer for them in their businesses. So regardless of what you want to do, let's say you want to be, I don't know, a speaker, a coach, whatever you want to do, go and look at who is doing it in your market. And, and don't say that thing that I love that people say, which is, I'm the only one doing it. Yeah. You're, okay, yeah, you're not. Sure. <laughs> you're not. Sorry. <laughs> you're probably doing it a little differently, but you're not the only one ever doing it. You have to have competition. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough road ahead. So go and look at who's doing what and how they're doing it. And then determine what you absolutely positively hate about that. Like figure out the things that you do not like. And that is your area of opportunity. What can I do differently? I didn't like coaching where you could only meet Friday for an hour. I was like, no, I have, I have an open calendar. 
I have exclusive. I don't want people just to watch videos. They have my cell phone number. They can call me. They can text me. They can hit me up the night before a, a podcast and say, hey, can you get one in the morning? <laughs> they can, right? So what? <laughs> who would do that? Hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing? They, right. They, they could say, Hey, I'm doing a retreat. Can you come over to the mansion retreat on Thursday? They could say and do that because I, I didn't like the way the game was being played. So look at how the game is being played and then determine what you don't like. Then change that. That's your first, those are the lowest hanging fruits for innovation. And pretty much the things that you hate, by the way, your clients hate. Yeah. Well, you know, what's so funny about that, Donna, is um, I didn't realize this whole conversation, but that's how I ended up in the space, that more human side of innovation, because I hated how the expert made it like I go behind a black curtain and it's magic and it's subjective and it's fluffy and you can't get your arms around it and only a select few get to be innovators and the rest of us suck, you know, like I hated that about it, um, which is how I ended up in that exact, like filling that hole that they, the problem that they were creating, I wanted to solve. You hate it. Exactly. And that's where your passion really is. Your passion is what you would love to eradicate. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. Oh my gosh, Donna, this has been so great. I can't believe we're out of time. I'm going to flip it and ask one personal question. Okay. Although the pearls really did it for me, but what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? Oh, that I am deathly afraid of fish, but I go snorkeling and scuba diving regularly. Well, of course you do. Cause you, you go after what you're afraid of, but why fish? Exactly. I did because they're under there and then you can't see them and they're acting like, and then remember when you were little, there was this, this show and I'm going to like just freak people out. There is this thing called a TV and on TV, they had shows like back in the day, but there is this show, I think it was the electric company. And then they show the little fish and the little fish was getting eaten by the big fish and the big fish was getting eaten by the bigger fish. And I was just like, I remember that. Yeah. I was like, well, where does it end? <laughs> How does it know I'm not a fish? So it freaked me out. And then, of course, I was traumatized by Jaws when I was little. And then we had piranhas. And, you know, we, listen, back in the day, every every movie that was scary had not Jason. It had something that was real, like a shark. And we all knew we were going to die in the water. So it's just kind of funny to think, because I think, um, you know, we grew up in the same era, right? That Because yeah. Jaws, I mean, I didn't swim in the deep end of a pool for the longest time because of Jaws. But it, I, I was just kind of thinking, as you were saying that, that part of the reason I think all of our stuff came from, a lot of it came from the ocean, right? The scary stuff is because we didn't have the understanding of the ocean the way we do now. So everything under the surface t- was turned into a scary movie. Everything. Yeah. Like they have magical things like Jason and Freddie will come get you. No, no, no. They traumatized us properly. Everything that killed us was real. They were it like, this, real. Dog, this dog could kill you. This fish could kill Killer you. Killer tornadoes. This tornado will um, take you out. <laughs> All of I'm, I'm going to tell you that the reason I won't ride a Ferris wheel is because when I was young, do you remember those episodes that were like when some, whatever, whatever goes bad, right? It was like when Ferris wheels go bad and they would show like kids dangling from a Ferris wheel that like it flipped and then the kid would fall or it would roll away. I have not ridden a Ferris wheel since I think I was 13 years old. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's so different. It's back real. Then, yeah. Back then they traumatized us with real stuff, not fantasy, real stuff. It wasn't this mystical, magical thing that you couldn't see. No, it was literally in your kitchen. Like, <laughs> Donna, you are fantastic. Always a pleasure. Just a wealth of insights. I have no doubt that anyone who's driving bookmarked this episode and is going to go back to it 
so they can get their notepad out. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh my God. I love you. Thank you so much for having me on. You're the best. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.